We are in the next section of 1 John, which is the fourth condition, be loving. This is chapters 4, through verse 7, through 5, verse 4. And we mentioned before that there are four conditions that are given in the first division of walking in the light, and those four repeated again in the second division of um, being children of Yahweh. But there's a new condition that is added in this second division, and that is be loving. Now, love has been there all along. John has not stopped talking about love. And that might have sounded worse than what I meant it. Um, but he's been lacing it through everything that he's been talking about. But now he's really going to emphasize <clears throat> that love is a foundational, essential thing to being a Christian. Because if God is love, then the children of God must be love as well. In this section, John develops the fourth condition. Those who are children of Yahweh are loving towards others. This is a new condition, not repeated from the first division. John uses the phrase, knows God, to transition from the previous section to this one and continues to develop the idea of love that he began in 1 John 3, 11 through 24. After establishing that God is love, John now defines what love is and how it operates according to the character of Yahweh. So chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. The person who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this, the love of God is revealed in us, that God has sent his one and only Son into the world so that we may live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice. So the first point that John is making here is that if we are born again, and we're born in a new father, a new family, a new headship in Christ, becoming his children and thus knowing Yahweh, is then his love must be in us because Yahweh is love. The first point that John is making of being loving is that since God is love, then we must demonstrate love as well. Dear friends, let us love one another because Love is from God. And if you're from God, then love must also be in you. And everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. He's not saying everybody who loves, like everyone who's ever loved, is automatically showing that their father is God. Because he's going to define love later. He doesn't mean like love and as in love is love, or I love my backpack, or I love this person over here in this weird, twisted way, or, or I love you in a lusting kind of a way, or I love you in a what-I-can-get-out-of-you manipulation kind of a way, or I love you because you just make me feel good in the moment, and I like being around you because I get something out of it. He doesn't mean all those worldly definitions. He's going to define that. And so as he goes on, defines love, which he kind of already has, but he'll really go into He's making it clear that that kind of love that kind of love, if that's in you, that only comes from the Father. Therefore, you're in the Father. So if you are children of God, you must have love. 
And if you have love, you show yourself to be children of God. The person who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And by this, the love of God is revealed in us, that God has sent his one and only Son into the world so that we may live through him. John is not saying that God is ontologically, meaning in his essence, in his being, literally love. But at the same time, there is something to God is love. It's not like he's made up of love, and, and but there is a sense that love is what God does. It is a part of his character. In some ways, it is part of his being, ontologically in some sense. And so this is a hard one, because in some ways it's like, I don't know. It's not saying he's literally love, but at the same time, love and God are so intricately connected, and love is so core to who his being is and his character that almost one can say God is love. And this is important because you you need to understand that for John, he's going to define love as an action. Love is not an emotion for John. Now, don't get me wrong, love is an emotion, but love as an emotion is not the foundation, the beginning point of the core of love. There is a love that is emotional, but that is birthed out of the act of action, verbing, can I say that English teachers? Verbing love, okay? And their sense of emotions are incredibly important. They are essential to the core of being human. They are essential to functioning and connecting and relating to each other. People who are cut off emotionally cannot connect to each other on an authentic, deep level. Emotions are a part of who God is. God is emotional. He feels emotions. However, emotions should always be the byproduct, the, the result of an action. We know that none of our relationships with God or other people should be rooted in how we feel because we know how quickly our feelings change for many people from hour to hour to hour, right? And if your love, if your your is based on your emotions, then you're going to be in and out of love with so many people, friends, family, spouses, children, like that, right? Over and over again. So what is at the basis is sacrifice. sacrifice okay? A, a subordinating my desires, what I want for the sake of somebody else. And even when they are not lovely, even when they don't deserve it, even when they're not easy. And what that does is when somebody loves you in that kind of a way, then it begins to produce the emotions. When you know that you are not lovely and you don't really deserve it right now and you're not easy to be with, or they've had a really bad day with a bad headache or a stressful things or anxieties and they're still loving you despite that, that's what begins to warm the cockles of your heart. That's what begins to do that, which then makes it easier for you to sacrificially love them in return, which then warms the cockles of their heart, which then creates a reciprocal, uh, mutual give and take kind of a thing. Now, once again, we've all been around long enough to know that's much easier said than done, but that's exactly what John is calling to us. For him, love is an action. It's a sacrifice that then gives birth to an emotion. And we know that because when Christ was on the cross, he wasn't feeling all warm and fuzzy inside for us. 
The cockles of his heart was not being warmed by us. And yet he loved. And that love then produces an emotional response on our behalf, which then allows us to serve him. If you love me, you obey me, which then produces an emotional response in him. And then he can say, well done, good and faithful servant, or this is my child. And so for John, this is love. Love is sacrifice. Love is action. Love is subordinating my desires for the sake of serving other people. This is the first point. This is the kind of love. And so the second point that John makes is that ultimate definition of love is what I just talked about. It is sacrifice. And the most ultimate example is that the Son himself demonstrated this. By this, verse 9, the love of God is revealed in us, that God has sent his one and only Son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the definition of love. My Son, subordinating his desires to the point of going into the cross. My son, who sat in the garden, and before that night in the garden, he had witnessed 30-something years of crucifixions. He had seen people crucified. He had watched them be ripped apart by the Roman Empire. He had seen the pain that they went through. And not not only that, he sat up in heaven for thousands of years watching humans crucify, torture, impale each other. And in that garden, he knew that was coming. And in that garden, he did not want to. But in that garden, he subordinated his will and his desire to that of the Father in order to show us love, to sacrifice on our behalf. And he sacrificed everything. We can't even begin to explain the sacrifice that he went through. Not only physically enduring the most torturous, painful death ever devised by humans, according to many historians and, 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 and biologists and stuff, but also the fact that all of his children had turned against him and were the ones actually killing him, the emotionalness of that. Then the fact that he is a member of the Trinity, the all-powerful, all-living, eternal God that has no beginning and no end, and yet he is going to be cut off from the Trinity. We can't even begin to imagine what that's like for the eternal God to be cut off from the eternal God. We don't even know what it is even like for an eternal God to die. Because remember, death is separation. So the minute the Father turned away, he was cut off. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so in that moment, Jesus is experiencing some kind of a death. And even if that was only for three days or however long you want to calculate that, depending on the theology and whatever creed you're paying attention to, the reality is that's mind-blowing that the eternal God dies. And in a way, because he's eternal, when he dies even for just three days, it's almost like it's eternal death. And, and so then he, he's doing all this. And that, I would say, in my finite, ignorant mind as a human, and in my understanding of the Bible, is probably the worst death that he experienced. And the worst pain was the actual separation from the Father. Because that is ultimately the penalty for the law for us as well. And yet he subordinated his will and said, not my will, but your will be done. 
And he did it for us. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And that's what John points to and says, that's love. That's love. He got nothing in return. Even when we self-sacrifice ourselves, that was redundant. Even when we sacrifice ourselves and we think we're being altruistic by little things like holding the door open or helping somebody carry something to the car um, to big things like our time and that kind of stuff, we're still hoping for something in return. We're still hoping to get something out of it. And I mentioned this the other week, and you know this. You can test this. You can test it when you open the door for somebody and somebody treats you like crap. Like, I can get my own door. And your first thought is, I will never do that again for you. There you go. Not completely altruistic. Not completely self-sacrificing. Or when you, were, you, you sacrificed and gave a lot in ministry. And the pastor lists a whole bunch of people are involved and they forgot your name. You're like, what the heck? Why didn't they mention me? I was there too. And even if you catch yourself a little bit or your reaction is not as bad as it used to be when you're in your 20s, you still had that thought. You still want some kind of a gain. And whether it's I want to be noticed or I'm doing this to feel good about myself. Many of us enter into relationships just because I will feel good that you like me. Tim Keller talks about the fact that when he first got married, he was holding his wife's hand, well, then now wife, and kissed her and stuff, how he felt the spark and a surge of like feel-good electricity, so to speak. And the question was, do I feel that today now after all these years of marriage? And he says, heck no, and thank God. Okay, and why? Because he realized in that moment, now looking back, he didn't realize it in the moment, but looking back, he realized that what he was feeling had less to do for how much he wanted to love her and sacrifice for her and more about the fact that she liked him. That somebody who was very attractive, very intelligent, very whatever, 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 liked him and wanted to be with him. Now, that's where all relationships begin, but hopefully you grow and it becomes deeper than that. And so... At our core, as a human, until Christ comes back again, there will always be a, a fraction of that in us that will always be a part of our love. And what John is saying is the only one who can do that perfectly with no sense of self-gratification or a desire to get anything in return is Christ. And that is your definition of love. And what's interesting is that every single time humans are given power, we seize it. But Christ is the only one, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, who had access to all power, yet did not exploit it over us, but gave it up to the point of dying. And the only time that anybody gets anywhere close to that is the believers who are in Christ. The believers who are in Christ. I do not really truly, I believe that everyone is capable of love. I believe that everyone's capable of self-sacrifice to a certain extent. But I do not believe, according to what I've seen in the Bible over many years of studying, what I've seen in history, and what I've seen in myself and other people around me, that anybody is capable of this kind of love without Christ and the Holy Spirit. That is not possible. I do not think that anybody is willing to give up power that was given to them 
in order to suffer on the behalf of somebody else and then desire nothing in return or any kind of revenge unless the Holy Spirit is in them. We do not see that in the world. We do not see the world. So I would say that not only for John is the definition of love self-sacrifice with nothing in return, but for John, the definition of love is the giving up of power. The giving up of power. The giving up of control over my life. The giving up of power over you. The giving up of even a subtle subconscious manipulation of you. The giving up of power. And that's what true love is. Because ultimately in the garden, remember, it was autonomy. They saw the fruit. And they saw it was pleasing in the eye. Tasty. And good for giving them wisdom. And they decided to write their own law. I have power to write my own law of what is good for me. And I will take my power and I will seize it and I will own it. And only when we truly die to autonomy is that really love. When I give up power, I give up my power over you. I give up my power in needing you to like me, to feel good about myself. I give up my power to dominate the conversation so that I can feel good about myself or you can think how cool I am or intelligent, my, my, my incessant need to tell jokes or make everybody laugh in order to feel good about myself or da-da-da-da-da-da. We always think of power as like the big things. But power is just to make a choice of where we're going to go out to eat, <laughs> right? It comes down to even the littlest things, even the argument of the toilet paper roll. It's all about power, all about power. And this is what John is saying. This is true love. The altruistic, receiving nothing in return, willingness to sacrifice my power on your behalf, but no desire for anything in return and no revenge. And that is mind-blowing. Because we all want control. We all want control. You might be easy to think like, right now, you battle your kids and they're like they want control right but the fact that you're battling them back is all about control okay that is a wake up call the second point that John is making is that this is what true love is therefore love is to be defined differently I have rewritten 1st John 4 verse 7 through 5 verse 4 with the help of other people and teachers that I've experienced throughout my life. It wasn't like completely all me. And one should, I've gone through and changed the words love to a more of a giving up control or self-sacrifice. And so this chapter should read more like this if we're going to understand love in the way that John is defining it. Dear friends, let us lay down our lives for one another because self-sacrifice comes from God. And everyone who does not demand his own rights Oh, that's so anti-America. Has been fathered by God and knows God. Whoever does not lay down his life but clings to his rights does not know God because God is the very definition of self-sacrifice. By this, the self-sacrifice of God is revealed in us that God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is self-sacrifice. 
Not that we died for God, but that he died for us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. No one has ever seen God. If we surrender our rights for the sake of one another, God resides in us, and his sacrifice is made complete in us. By this we know that we reside in him, and that he in us, that he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God resides in him and he is in God. And we have come to know and trust the sacrifice God has made for us. God is self-sacrifice. And the one who resides in self-sacrifice by surrendering his rights and even his very life resides in God and God in him. By this, the lifestyle of laying down our lives for one another is made complete with us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Because just as Jesus is, so also we are in the world. There is no fear in dying to yourself, but perfect self-sacrifice drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears punishment has not been made complete in self-sacrifice. We lay down our lives and surrender our rights for others because he first laid down his life and surrendered his life for us. If anyone says, I would die for God, yet would not give up anything for his fellow Christian, he is a liar. Because the one who does not lay down his life for his fellow Christian, whom he has seen, cannot lay down his life for God, whom he has not seen. And the commandment we have from him is this, whoever sacrifices everything for God must also sacrifice everything for his fellow Christian. That feels more like wisdom literature. The only way I can get anywhere close to that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Because remember, the Christian life is completely and utterly and totally impossible to live without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit. Nobody can do this, especially that continues to constantly self-sacrifice. We have moments, but it's that consistent behavior. It's that consistent behavior. Verse 10 In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So we don't know love by what we have done. We don't know love by watching the world. Even our great stories of self-sacrifice don't really teach us what real love is. We only know what love is because he did it for us. He demonstrated it for us. And for John, this is the two points that he's making. True children of God love like Christ's love. And true love, as Christ demonstrated, the sacrificing of my power and control for the sake of another with no desire of anything in return or revenge over them. True forgiveness is I don't demand my pound of flesh anymore. True love is I don't expect you to make me feel or give me anything. 